Pray over the word tonight. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. I pray for revelation as we hear what's, what you want to say to us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you provide the information you want us to have this evening. We love you. We honor you. Tonight, Holy Spirit, show us what you meant. Show us what Jesus meant when he said certain things. Show us what the scripture means when it says certain things. We simply believe you tonight. We believe that your word is true. Lord, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. We believe that it is true. And what it says we can have, we can have. What it says we can do, we can do. Lord, we agree that your word is not out of style. It's not out of focus. Lord, that it's true today as much as it was true the day you spoke it to those men who wrote it. Lord, we give you thanks and we give you honor for your word and we believe it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let me read you. Let me start off with a passage of scripture tonight. It's not, not one of my favorite ones, but I'll read it to you. Then a certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon on them to call over them which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Now, that's a pretty amazing passage of Scripture, I think. I mean, the, 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 the devil literally said, Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but you, who are you? I mean, he, he didn't recognize who they were, and so he, he talked to them. You know what? It's been a long time, not, not every church, but it's been a long time since the church as a whole operated in true power and authority. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time. I mean, there are great services, great feelings, and all that stuff going on, but, but uh, that passage is a whole lot like the charismatic church of today. There's a lot of noise, a lot of activity, but not a lot of demonstration of power. I read a book and heard a message by the guy who, who, who wrote the book, and the title of the book was, uh, A Miracle Settles the Issue. And it was a guy who used to travel with T.L. Osborne, and uh, he said, you know what, when God opened blind eyes, they didn't ask whether they needed to be dunked or, or sprinkled. All they wanted was that God. They wanted Jesus of Nazareth because a miracle settles the issue. But we don't see a lot of that anymore. I mean, if you just think about it, when was the last time, or if ever, you saw somebody get up out of a wheelchair? When was, huh? When was the last time or ever that you saw somebody be healed of deafness or be healed of blindness? That's a pretty tough question, isn't it? When was the last time? It's interesting. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 4, he said, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He said, My preaching wasn't just preaching. He said, There was a demonstration of power. Why? He answered that in verse 5. He says, That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
You see, sometimes we get enamored with the preacher. We need to get enamored with the miracle, the one who provides the miracle, the one who provides the sermon. I mean, he's the one it's all about. It's been a long time since that's happened. Today, there's a whole lot of talk about receiving your blood-brought rights as a child of God, as a child of the King. But there's not really much fighting going on in the Spirit to establish that reality. In fact, what happens is people begin to say, you know, you get to hear the message on how, how you're a child of the King and that you can have this and you can have that. And then when it doesn't come, people get disappointed and walk out on God. Because we live in a culture that we want everything instantly and we won't, don't want to have to fight for anything. We want it to be given to us. I mean, there's just an absence of power. As I've taught many times, today's spirit-filled churches have lost their zeal for victory in spiritual warfare and replaced it with hype and theatrics. If I can get you to feel something, then we've done something. That's like saying if we can march in place for an hour, that we've gone a mile. If you're just marching in place, you're not going anywhere. There's got to be more to it than that. The sons of Sceva, they they sought to fight a spiritual battle with an imitation of the real thing. I mean, they were, they were, see, I think, I think their motives weren't all wrong. I think they wanted people to get delivered of demons. And they were, the, the Bible says that they were, that they were, that they were, um, what does it call them? It says exorcists. It calls them, they were exorcists. That's what they did. That's what they wanted to do. And they were trying to get people delivered from demons. Okay. And so they found that what they thought was a shortcut. Okay. Because before that, you know, they were, they were doing all these incantations and smoke and all the things were going on. They thought the name of Jesus was the abracadabra of authority and victory over the devil. If I can just say, in Jesus' name. Well, if you have the right backing, you can say, in Jesus' name. And demons have to obey you. They, they just said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. I mean, they, they just, we didn't, we're not preaching that name, but we're, we're, we're thinking that name worked pretty good for him, so we're going to use it. The miracles and the supernatural manifestations have been replaced by a felt experience that preys on the scripturally illiterate. If you don't know what the Bible says, you can be fooled into thinking anything. I'm just telling you, you can get a feeling and you can feel it. Ooh, and it feels so good. And people will say, did you feel that? Ooh, I felt that one. Oh, I felt it. It doesn't matter if I feel it or don't feel it. What the Bible says is the answer, not what I feel. Feelings are fun to have, but they're the worst leaders you can have. We can't be led by the feeling. We must be led by the Spirit, by the Word of God. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, it's just a sham. It's a show. It's like the, the, the medicine man of the, out of the old wild west selling some elixir that will cure you for everything from cancer to a headache. And all it is is a bottle full of alcohol that will get you drunk so you forget about it for a little while. <laughs> and that's what happens. I know that the, uh, listen, we've all, everybody in this room, we've been around the charismatic block many times. And used to the services you go to and get, quote, drunk in the Holy Ghost was the, was the, 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 the apex of everything we did. If we could just get hyped up and drunk in the Spirit. Ooh, that was it. That was it. I don't think it was it. Because I think a lot of it was just emotion. I think Not all of it. I'm not saying God doesn't knock people down and do crazy things with them. But I am saying that that's not the apex. The apex is getting people born again, getting them filled with the Spirit so they can go out and reproduce what Jesus was doing. 
That's what the, the apostles did. That's what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, we need a real move of the Spirit, not just an emotional imitation and self-promoted hype that's validated by the number of people. Amen. I mean, if you've ever seen a real miracle, if you've ever been used in a real miracle, you'll know that, 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 that getting the money to pay your rent isn't the biggest deal in the world. You know, and that's important. Don't get me wrong. That's a very important thing. But we need a move of God. We need a revival that, man, that, that's not about how many, how many people came. It's not about how many campuses we had. I mean, we've been around a long time. And I think in this room we would say we're hungry for the real thing. We long for the way it was done, but we don't know when it departed. When did it happen? I mean, we were... We, I remember when we first got spirit-filled in the 70s, it was a big deal to go to a church where they raised their hands. Right. You remember that? I remember going, hey, they raised their hands there. Ooh, they, oh, oh, they must be spirit-filled. And over time, over time, the denominational pastor said, hey, they raised their hands there. If we do that, they'll come to our church too. And so now, I mean, that was a big deal, raising hands. Oh, man, if somebody got a tongue and interpretation, that was awesome. We don't have those anymore because I think they may have passed away. When did they stop those, by the way? You see, it, it didn't end. I mean, our children, our grandchildren, many of them are disillusioned because they see no results in, in, in what's going on because of the hype. And they don't know that, that, that God will really answer by fire. They've never seen it. They don't know. When did it leave? When, when, when did that disappear? I mean, the world and the devil... They know the church is powerless. And they're not impressed. They simply aren't. The, the, vo- the church doesn't have the voice it used to have. The church is not what it used to be. In fact, demons, I think they're applying for new jobs because they don't have a lot to do anymore. That's not true. There are murders. There are things going on all over this earth. But the church, they're not having to fight as much against the church because the church d- doesn't know its condition. They don't even know. We don't know. I mean, we don't know when it went up. For the most part, the church, not all churches, the church is lukewarm. Doesn't know the real thing. Doesn't know what it looks like, tastes like, seems like. In fact, if the real thing showed up in most church services, it would be dismissed. Because it's not on the schedule. It's not in the sermon outline that y'all got. Okay, no wonder, no wonder modern Christians don't even believe that the Bible is the Word of God. They don't have a biblical worldview because they've not seen a demonstration of power. That's what needs to happen. We've been taught to believe and taught to make all kinds of confessions for our blessings, but children of God don't even know how to fight. Don't even know what to do. If it doesn't come tomorrow... You know, we've been negligent with our money. We've been shopping at the mall. and We spent all of our money. And then when the rent or the house payment is due or the Dillard's card is due, we don't have the money. We're thinking God needs to pay it today. And he, when he tried to talk to us the other day, we were charging him up. We didn't, we didn't know how to fight those types of things. I mean, we've been fed a line that says that the believer doesn't really have to do anything because it's all about grace. Can I tell you something? 
grace only operates by faith. That's the way you got saved. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And more than that, by acting on that Word when you hear it. That's what faith is all about. But we, 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 we've thought that, well, it's just it's by grace. It's by grace. In fact, I, I was listening to a hymn today on the radio as I was driving, and it was that, that, that hymn that says, um, How Sweet It Is to Trust in Jesus. And the song ends with, Oh, for grace to trust Him more. Can I tell you something? Grace won't help you trust Him more. Faith and obedience and watching him do what he said he would do over and over. That's what helps you trust, that's what helps, helps you trust him. And we've lost the idea of, of surrender to the master. I mean, it's not about that anymore. We've, we've lost the idea about having to crucify our flesh in our daily lives because they're not pleasant subjects. People don't give a lot of money when you talk about that. If they know they have to die to themselves. They don't want to give to that. It's, 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 just not, it's, not, it's not sweet. We want this, this sweet gospel of a no-fault Christianity, and you're the way you are, and it's not your fault. It's all the devil's fault. Well, can I tell you? It is your fault. And we need to repent and surrender to God. I understand I can't control my upbringing. I can't control what environment that I was placed in, but I can learn to know that that was wrong and that I can repent. I mean, the result is there there are lots of crowds and people multiply in the buildings, but we've replaced the moving of the Holy Ghost for superficial things that seem like they might could be the moving of the Holy Spirit. If I can just get to, if I can just get you, get you, sing us a song that'll move you in some way, that's what we're after. We don't understand the war, we don't understand the enemy. Most Christians don't. I mean, I don't know if you realize this or not, but we fight a fight on three different fronts. And we've got to have a victory in all of those areas. Number one, you know this one, our fight is against the devil, right? Very seldom does the devil make you do anything. In fact, he can't do it. Remember when, what was his name, that, that comedian back in the 70s, the devil made me do it? The devil can't make you do anything. You have to surrender to the devil for him to do it. But our fight is against the devil. But we have victory. Jesus said, Behold, I give you power. The word power there should, be, should have been translated authority. I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. Jesus gave us authority over the devil. Mark sixteen seventeen. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. We have the authority and the power over the devil and his demons. And we should never be afraid and never back down in fear to them. The problem is we've listened to the world telling us how big and bad the devil is and how big and mean demons are. Even the movie called The Exorcist in the 70s was about how bad the devil was and it was made to scare you. I mean, after you watched that movie, you didn't want to go cast out any devils because they might throw up green vomit on you or whatever else was going on in the movie. Her head was going all the way around. <laughs> but our fight, our, the first that's only one part of the fight, though. There's more than that to fight. We have another fight. The other fight is against the world and its system. There's a spiritual battle here about the world and about the system of the world. I mean, Jesus, I mean, Paul said in Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our fight is against the lies of the wicked spirits that they're, they're talking to people, telling people all the time about, about that good is bad and bad is good. And we say that every day. 
in our fight, there's, there's, there's an evil culture that we have to stand against. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. Our job is to be a light in a dark world. That's our job. We stand against Satan. We stand against the culture that defies God. I'm not saying we're mean to the culture. I'm saying we stand against it, though. We must have a fight here. We must not allow the culture to make us bend to their will. And there is pressure every day to bend to their will. Every day. I mean, we, we just cannot. We cannot allow the culture to define us. We cannot allow that to happen. But then there's a third fight, and this is the one most Christians lose. There's the fight against our flesh. I know that doesn't sound very exciting. The Scripture says this in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It says, And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and, and took a lamb out of the flock, and I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of its mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. So I did it to a lion, and he did it to a bear. He said, Thy, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, the Lord be with you. I'm going to tell you something. Before you can overcome the giant, you're going to have to fight a lion and a bear. What we have this in mind is, if I ever see a giant, I'm going to pick up five rocks and throw at him. Not if you haven't been fighting already. I mean, I promise you the day that David slew Goliath was not the first time he ever hit something with a rock. He had been hitting lots of things with rocks. And he became a guy who was not afraid of the lion and he wasn't afraid of the bear. I mean, we're going to have to fight against the world system. We're going, to, we're going to have to tame the lion of our flesh if we're going to defeat Satan. This is a pretty big battle. We're not, we're not, we're not, I'm not saying this to make anybody feel bad about themselves, but we need to understand that there's a fight. A fight to fight, and it's always going on, and the devil is not keeping your sink full of dirty dishes. Sometimes in order to get victory over the devil, you've got to get a victory over the sink. Sometimes to get a victory of the devil, you've got to get a victory to be on work on time or to do the things you're supposed to do to keep your word. I mean, we need to understand this is, we've got to be a Christian in the, all these areas of our lives. But I'll tell you, we are people. We are people who need to know how to fight the flesh because the demon is going to say, oh yeah, Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but you, who are you? You can't even keep your own word. How are you going to keep the word of God? I know that hurts, but that's what we need to know. We have to fight the flesh. We do fight the culture, and we do fight uh, the devil. But I'll tell you something. Sermons about fighting the flesh are not popular sermons. I mean, nobody wants to hear that. But they've got to hear it. We've got to hear what that says. We need to understand that. 2 Corinthians 3 I mean, 10, verse 3 through 6 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we don't warp the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And notice it's not talking about the devil. It's talking about my thoughts. It's talking about me understanding that this warfare is fought in my thought life. 
Learning to understand that, yes, once I can bring every thought into captivity, now I'm going to be dangerous. Doesn't mean I can't fight the devil until then, but it means I need to know I've got to do that. And having in, having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Listen, we're not, we're not going to, to, to win against Satan until we, until we win against these unchristlike attitudes and, and behaviors that we have in our own lives. In this fun, we scream about these attacks and the devil's attacking and we're going to take him and, and how bad he is. But then when it comes to something like, well, you ought to pay your bills on time. Uh, I don't want to hear that. I mean, well, maybe you ought to just start, you ought to just, you ought to just start tithing. Oh, no, no. Every time a preacher says that, you know what they say? He just wants your money. Guess what? I don't want your money. You need, you need to tithe. I think all of you do. We've not won in the arena of self. Man, we need to forget about going after the devil. Let's take care of, let's take care of the things that are important first here. Let's get the thoughts. Let's get them controlled. Let's do what we're supposed to do. I mean, I think Satan, when he looks at the Christians, and they're going through the motions, pretending they're holding up their shield and holding up their sword and doing the things they're doing, and they're marching around, and they're, we're going to whip you, Satan, and they're doing all those things. I think, I think he just he looks at me and goes, you know what? It's like they have Mattel toy weapons. They don't have a clue how to fight. It's like they have, have aluminum foil as their armor. And, 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 and I think he said, see, they're like the sons of Sceva who made exorcism into a game. If we can just get you frenzied up and, and get you to foam at the mouth a little bit and shout at the devil. Listen, he doesn't leave by shouting. I mean, you don't have to shout at the devil to make him leave. He leaves by a person who understands their authority, who they are in Christ, fighting the fight of faith in all their areas of their life, renewing their minds. And I'm going to tell you, when they speak, the devil has to listen and obey them. Every one of us has that authority. I mean, it's a good thing that the devil hadn't really openly attacked the church. He's letting the church do it to itself. And people are scrip- crying and screaming and all that stuff and we're, we're telling them different things and they're distracted from the real work of God. We didn't even notice when the fire went out. That's what I'm saying. When did it go out? When did the miracle stop? I mean, I, I, I remember we used to go, to go to church and we expected a miracle every Sunday or a group of miracles every Sunday. We just thought that was what was supposed to happen. And then somewhere along the way, they left. I mean, we've been fooled asleep for a long time, and and then we there's this message that has come about: the bigger we are, and the more money we have, the more we can do for the kingdom of God. I remember Jesus sent twelve disciples out one day. He said, "Don't take any money. Don't take an extra pair of clothes." And they accomplished a lot of stuff with no money. And then later on, in the same gospel, he asked him in, Luke, in Luke's gospel, he said, "So when I sent you out without any money?" Did you lack for anything? They said, no, we didn't. In fact, they quit noticing that when the first demon got out, probably. They quit thinking about that when the first lame person began to walk because it was more than just getting the money. I mean, in, in, the, in the church's slumber, I mean, the devil and the world have cut off the source of power. What's, what, what is that? The Word and the baptism in the Holy Ghost. 
That's what needs to be, be taught. This is a verse from Judges 16, verse 20. It says, and she said, it's talking about Delilah, and she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep. Woke out of his sleep. He was asleep. Didn't know what was going on. He was asleep and said, I will go out as at other times before, and I will shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. Samson was lulled to sleep by his friendship with the world. He forsook the word and the power of God that got him to this place where he was. He just forsook it all and took a nap. And one day he took a shake and the shake didn't take. And they gouged out his eyes. He could no longer see. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law or keepeth the word, happy is he. There's got to be more. If we're going to operate the keys of the kingdom of God, we have to understand there's a battle and we're going to have to subject ourselves to the king, submit ourselves and die to ourselves and do what's necessary. And then we're going to have to wage war using authority against our flesh, the world system, and the devil. There's got to be more to it than just going to church and singing three to five songs, sitting down, hearing the announcements about the picnic on Thursday or Sunday or whatever it is, and then hearing a sermonette and going home. You know, I remember, I remember, going, to the, to the, I remember going to the church growth thing, and they said, if we would just have a, a visitor's room after church and give them a present, they would come back. And then, not only that, we'd give them a present, and then that afternoon, if we sent people to their house with cookies, they would come back. They'd be our members for good. And I thought, you know what? If it takes milk and cookies to get them, it'll take milk and cookies to keep them, and I'm not into that. But that's... But all these slick ideas, and some of them, some of them may be, they may, it may have been the Holy Ghost for the first guy who did it, I'm not sure. But we have to understand, we've got a war to fight. And it's not just for the preacher to fight for the church, it's for the church to mount up as the army of God and do what it's supposed to do. So let me read you this passage. We read this last week, we're going to read it again today. And when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But whom say ye that I am? And we said, That's the most important question. Who do you say that Jesus is? All right, there are lots of answers out there. And Simon Peter, Simon Peter answered and said, and This is the right answer. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That needs to be our answer. Who is Jesus? He is the Christ, the Messiah, the sent one. He is Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's who Jesus is. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And we talked about that. Jesus wasn't building the rock on Peter. He wasn't the first pope. He's building the rock on the revelation of who Jesus is. That's where the, Jesus is the revelation. That's what this is all about because the word Peter, we said, means little rock, little stone, but the rock that Jesus built his church on is a boulder. In fact, one, one translation says the rock of Gibraltar. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We've had the wrong idea. We're thinking that we're waiting for hell to attack us before we defend ourselves. The gates of hell don't move. And Jesus said, the next phrase is, I'll give you the keys. He said, I'm giving you the keys so you can open some doors. Keys represent authority. Keys represent uh, uh, 
the, the ability to do certain things. Keys represent the, the ability to open or close. All right, he said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose shall be loosed in heaven. So we talked about the, we talked about this the last couple of times. We've got to have a revelation, number one, of who Jesus is, number two, of who we are, because he changed, he changed Simon into Peter. And the third thing we have to have a revelation of is who Jesus is when he's in me. Understanding he gives us keys, gates don't attack, but when we, I mean, have you ever been attacked by a gate? Anybody? I might be wrong. A gate has never attacked me. I don't recall that ever happening. But you've been, you have a key to get in or to get out. All right? He says the church is made out of, I love this, when he says, he says, he says, whatever we bind and loose, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. What's the church made out of? The scripture says the church is made out of living stones. They're sealed into a structure, also called the body of Christ. I thought about this this week. When you see lost people, that are on the other side of the gate, and we're wanting to get beyond this gate to unlock it so they can get out, not after they've died. I'm glad you asked that question last week. But while they're alive, many people are locked into hell. We want to unlock the gate and let them out. When we see them on the other side of the gate, before we unlock it, what we need to see is those are building materials. Because they can get born again and seal into the wall of the body of Christ. And we need to see that. Our job is to get them out of that. The one with the keys is the person in control. Okay, if you're the person in control of the car tonight, you got the key. Okay, the person with the uh, well, you might say, well, I don't have a key, I have a fob. Well, it's called a key fob, and so it, it acts like a key. All right? Jesus, Jesus is saying that binding and loosing. Here's the key. He said you can bind and loose. We talked about that last week. All right? It's delegated authority and the power and the might to do what's right. All right? We talked about Jesus was in the loosing ministry last time. We talked about how he loosed the woman that was bowed over. All right, so understanding binding and loosing is, is about what? It's about authority. The thing Christians don't understand is you have authority over your flesh. You have authority over the culture. You have authority over the devil in your own life. You have authority. I mean, the Bible says in Matthew 28, 18 and 19, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, I have all power. All authority is what he's saying the word should be. All authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Remember when he left hell, he took the keys of hell and death. We'll read that in just a second. All right, he took the keys. He said, I have all authority. Now, that's easy to believe, isn't it? Jesus has all authority. How about the next verse? Next verse says, Go ye therefore. That's the hard part, isn't it? Jesus said, I have all authority. Now you go. You go. And you teach them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Revelation 1.18, Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Jesus said that we have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now he says, I have the keys of, of death and hell. Hebrews 2, verse 14 says, For as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part in the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Notice he says he had the power of death. He no longer has it. Jesus took it. All right? Jesus has the keys. Jesus overcame, took the keys of death, took the keys of hell. And as I said, it's easy to believe that Jesus has control and all the power. Here's the problem. They don't believe they have any power or that they have any authority. They believe it's up to Jesus to do it all. Jesus, you just have to do this because I can't. He's saying, yes, you can. He gave us authority. I mean, if they do, if they do believe it, they don't act like it for the most part. 
We have to understand, we have authority. He said, you go. You go. I have all authority. And so because I have all authority, you go and you do these things. Mark chapter 16. And he said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. Not many people doing that anymore. Uh, They took this chapter out of the Bible maybe. I'm not sure. (laughs) They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. It literally says, and they shall remove serpents. It doesn't say take them up. It says remove them. The, the opposite was, was put in here. I mean, have you ever been to a church where they put, took up serpents? We lived in Kentucky one time. We didn't ever go to one of those churches, but one of our friends did. And he said they were there, and the door was at the front. And they pulled pull out the snakes at the front. And he asked the lady next to him. She said, he said, um, where, where's the back door? And she said, they don't have one. He said, well, where do you reckon they'd want one? <laughs> Jesus didn't say take up serpents. He said remove serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere. Now this is what this literally says without the italicized words. And the Lord worked with and confirmed the words with signs following. The Lord confirms the word. But we have to be bold enough to say it. Matthew says, go make disciples. You have to have authority to make disciples. Mark gives us understanding what the power and authority will do. It will remove demons. It'll, we can take, get rid of serpents. We can speak in tongues. We can lay hands on the sick and they recover. We have this. Jesus said, I have all authority, so you go. This is the delegation. This is the authorization. This is Jesus' empowerment to the body of Christ. And when you look at the scripture with his 12 disciples, he said, all right, I want you to go out. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to cast out devils. I want you to raise the dead. He sent them out and that's what they did. And then later they came back and man, they were excited about it. Mm -hmm. Then later on, he got 70 other people besides those 12. And he sent them out to do the very same thing. And they had the very same results all the time. Now, at this point, he's risen from the dead. He has all authority. He has the keys of hell and death. And he empowers the entire church to do what he said to do. You and I have that kind of authority. But we have to believe and receive what he said. We've been assigned to operate in the authority in this world as his ambassadors. I like this so far. Ephesians. I'm going to read a lot of verses here. Chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to start here. The writer, of Hebrews, the writer of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, past tense, blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Every earthly blessing began as a spiritual one, because the spiritual father is the earthly. Right, so everything we've been, we've been, we've been blessed with all the blessings. We've got to find out what those blessings are. That's not the car or the money. Okay? He goes on to say, According as he had chosen us... Be, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. I like that phrase because that means God wanted us. He didn't have to take us. He wanted us. It's the good pleasure of his will. To the praise and glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Literally, it says that he's made us highly favored. The same thing he said about Mary when Gabriel came. It's the same word. He, he made us highly favored in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, 
wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will. God wants us to know his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the, full, dispensation of the fullest of times, he might gather together one and all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and on earth, even in him. In whom, now listen to this next phrase, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. What does that even mean? It doesn't say we will, so he's not talking about heaven. We have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who, who first trusted in Christ, in whom you trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed, you were sealed, we talked about the stones being sealed in the wall, with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. The earnest of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit of promise is the earnest of our inheritance. We know what part of it is, we just now figure out what part of our inheritance is. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's part of our inheritance. It's the earnest money, the down payment, till the redemption of the purchased possession of the praise of His glory. Wherefore, I also, after heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love to the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. He's praying for three things. That the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. Here's what we need to know. What is the hope of His calling? He's praying that we would know what the hope of our calling is and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What is your inheritance? What is he even talking about there? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who to believe according to the working of his mighty power? He's praying for three things. He's praying that we would know the hope of our calling, that we would understand, that we would know what the riches of the glory of his inheritance to the saints is, and that we would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. We talk a lot about the power, but what about the inheritance? What is the inheritance? I mean, he wrought it in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. And he hath put all things under his feet, gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth, filleth all in all. That's what Jesus, when he comes from the dead, all that affects us. I like what it says. He says we've obtained an inheritance. We've already obtained an inheritance. What does that mean? That means somebody died and left you something. Somebody, he, Listen, what we're talking about here, he left you something big. And then not only that, he didn't stay dead. He rose again to make sure you get it. You have an inheritance. What did we inherit? I believe this is the key of the kingdom. We have authority. We need to understand what is our inheritance. We need a revelation of what it is. In this passage, this chapter over and over, the first two chapters of Ephesians over and over say, In him. In, in whom? Talking about in Jesus. This, this, this inheritance is in Him. It's all in Him. It's all in, in Him. All right? he, he says we have this prayer for these three things. We need to know the hope of our calling. I mean, you've been called. Do you realize that? It's not talking about being called to be a preacher. You've been called out of darkness into light. You've been called to be a witness. You have been called already. 
but we need to know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He wants us to know what we've inherited. I mean, if, if, a, if an earthly relative dies, you want to know if they left you something. You read the will, right? I mean, I'm telling you, we send our kids copies of our will and all the stuff, you know, so they'll know what they get. Now they're praying we die. No, they're not. They're not really praying we die. <laughs> Most believe that Jesus was successful in his death, his burial, his resurrection, that our sins were forgiven, and that he has the keys. But he left us the keys. They don't, most Christians don't believe they have the keys. They believe that Jesus can do anything. God can do everything. But they don't believe we can do anything. But Jesus left us inheritance. He left us keys. Do you realize tonight, Jesus didn't die for himself. He never sinned. He didn't die, he didn't die for him. Who did he die for? Us. He died for us. He didn't remove his sins. He had to remove ours. His victory wasn't for himself. His victory was for us. He died for us. His inheritance is not his inheritance. It's our inheritance. He left it to us. That's what the scripture is talking about. That means his resurrection is now our resurrection. We have this supernatural inheritance. I mean, why did he need to be raised from the dead? For us. It was all for us. He was raised from the dead for us. I mean, our sin was judged at the cross. Our sin. Past, present, and future. That means that when he was crucified, we were crucified. We died with him. And when he was resurrected, we were resurrected. That's why it says in him. In him. It's all in him. He did it for us. I love it when it says that, that, that he's been given the name that is above every name that is named not only in this age, but in the one to come, and that he's put everything under his feet. Now get this. Where are the feet? It says he's the head. Where are the feet? The feet are in the body. All of that is under the body. The body has authority over all of that stuff. That is our inheritance. We are people of authority. We are people who have power. If we understand to fight the fight, we are the people of power. In Ephesians 2.5 it says, And even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together. That's the word quickened again. He made us alive together with Christ. When he was made alive, we were made alive in him. We are alive in Christ. That's even hard to wrap your mind around that when he was raised, we were raised. And in verse 6 it says, And hath raised us up together, up together with him, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where is Jesus? He's seated at the right hand of God. He, I think I told you this last time, there's like one big throne and there's two places for people to sit and it's Jesus and the Father. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. We are in Him on the throne of heaven, which is the highest place of authority in the whole universe. That's our inheritance. That's who we are. I mean, when He was raised up, we were raised up. Everything He did was for us. We're sitting together with Him at the right hand of God. I mean, here is one of the most important keys you'll ever hear about. His victory is our victory. His, his inheritance is our inheritance. The Bible says He's the King of kings. Who are those kings? We are. 
The scripture says we've been made kings and priests unto our God. We're the kings. He's the Lord of lords. Who are the lords? We're the lords. We're the little L and the little K for king. We're not the capital, but he, he is that for us. We have to understand that. The keys are here for us. I mean, we can bind it. We can loose it. We have authority in the world because we have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I love this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir. Whoa, Jesus is the heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds. Jesus is the heir of all things. Where are we? In him. The heir of all things. If we understand what I'm talking about tonight, it will change everything. The devil does not want you to know what I'm talking about here. Who being, he said, he, he, whom he appointed to be heir of all things, by whom he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his per- person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Jesus had this inheritance. He inherited. He's the heir of all things. Everybody believes that, don't we? We all believe that, but most people don't know that we've been made heirs with Him. I'll read you a couple of verses in a minute. He sat down with Him. We are called to sit down with Him, quickened together, raised together, seated together. By inheritance, He obtained a more excellent name. He inherited it. And at that, that name, every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. We have inherited that in this world. Jesus operated in a binding and loosing ministry. He bound things. He loosed things. He bound them. He loosed them. Today, we have the authority to do the same thing. We've inherited His inheritance. We need to understand God has called us to do more than to sing three songs and go to, go, go to the cafeteria at lunchtime. He's called us. He's called us as binders and loosers. I mean, after the resurrection in the book of Acts, they did the same thing, all in His name. Peter said that the man was made whole by the name of Jesus. It was the name obtained by inheritance when He rose from the dead triumphantly. Angels minister to us because we're the heirs also. Now listen to this. We possess keys and have authority. Hebrews 9 verse 15 says this, And for this cause, says that the fact that His blood was paid the price for us, for this cause, He is the mediator of the New Testament by means of death for, for the redemption of the transgressions that we are under in the First Testament, that they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. We are the call. It's an eternal inheritance. For where, for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. A testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it's of no strength at all while the testator liveth. We're the call. We've received it. His last will and testament is the New Testament. That, that, we have all that that says. That's the will of Jesus. That's what He left us. Those are the keys that He gave to us. He gave us the name that He has, His authority. It's been delegated to us. Now, we cannot think that we're powerless against all these things that are happening. We are heirs. Heirs of God. You're an heir of God. Now, listen, this even gets better than that. In Galatians 3.18, For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. The promise is received by faith. 
by believing. That's how Abraham got it. And verse, the next chapter says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth his, the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We are heirs of God. We're not stepsons and stepdaughters. We are sons and daughters of God by inheritance because we're in the family. As a child of God, we're heirs. The servants don't inherit things. It's for the sons. Romans 8, verse 15. For you have not received the bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. Now listen to this next phrase. And joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Listen, we were outside of God, but now we are in the family of God. We've been born again, placed into the family of God. We call the God of the universe Father. I don't know how you pray, but I pray in the mornings, our Father. And that just, I'm telling you, then I start calling him Abba because that just stirs me up all the way through. The God of the universe is my Father. Abba, Father. Man, we call him Father. It says, if we're children, then heirs. And then it says, joint heirs. You know what joint heir means? Equal heir. Everything that Jesus inherited, we inherited. We are joint heirs with him. Most people don't believe what I'm saying. They think that he can do it all, I can't do it. That's, that's, that's a bunch of false humility. Well, I can't do it. I'm just worthless and no good. I remember the, 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 uh, the centurion said to Jesus, I'm not worthy, you should come into my house. And Jesus was like, okay. And he healed him from outside the house. But Jesus was going in the guy's house. He never thought he was unworthy. He doesn't think you're unworthy because he died and shed his blood for you. And we are joint heirs, equal heirs. He got it for us, everything he did. I'm telling you, this is a key. If we'll get hold of it, we can now... Fight the fight we're supposed to fight. We can take the stand we're supposed to stand. We can let God move through our hands, our feet. We're not, we're not infallible, and we can make mistakes, but if we'll let Him move through us, He will give us all that He's promised. Everything He said, Beloved, now we're the sons of God. It doth not a year yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. I knew that was you all the time. I knew that was you. And they'll look at us and go, you're just a chip off the old block. You're just, you're just like that. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Here's what we need to hear. Because as He is, so are we in this world. We're heirs of the promise. Heirs tonight. Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for our inheritance. I thank you tonight, God, that we receive it by faith, not by law. We receive the promise. I pray you help us. No, I pray you show us deeper what this inheritance is, what we can do, what we should be doing. Let us be led not by the circumstances of the day, but by the Spirit of God who will show us where to be and what to do.
Father, we thank you tonight that Jesus came and died our death and he was resurrected in our resurrection and that we are in him tonight seated at the right hand of the Father, the seat of authority in the universe. I thank you that we're heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.